Welcome to That Season Air podcast. I'm your host Gina. Stick with me as I chat to season airs, expats and adventurers across the world sharing their inspiring stories and interesting insights into living and working abroad. On today's show, I interview personal trainer, macrame maker and my good friend Siobhan Brogan. Shiv proves to us that you don't need to be from a wealthy background to achieve your dream of living abroad. We get an in-depth look into Shiv's experience across Spain, Portugal, New Zealand and Norway, as well as her experience as camp counsellor in America. And she's like, is that real? And I'm like, is what real? And she's like, this snake. And I was like, what do you mean? And I jump up <laughs> and I look and it's a copperhead snake and it's like parked up, ready to go. This episode has it all, from snakes to snowboarding and counselling to COVID. Make sure you listen right to the end of the show for Shiv's travel tips and tricks and find out how Shiv ended up with an injury after sharing a chairlift with two-times Olympic snowboarding gold medalist Jamie Anderson. If you enjoy the podcast and want to show your support for the show, you are now able to buy me a coffee via the link in the show notes. And without further ado, here's the show. Shiv, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to come and see me. Oh, it's welcome. a little bit weird because we are such good friends. <laughs> How's the wine going down? Is that going down all right? Oh, too good. <laughs> <laughs> Try not to get you too drunk. Or maybe I will. Let's see how it goes. Okay. <laughs> um, so Shiv, tell us a little bit about you. Where are you from? A little fishing village called Arbroath. It's um, northeast of Scotland. Very wet, very dark, but beautiful in the summer. <laughs> <laughs> it is actually. Yeah, I remember that time I came to Arbroath to yeah, you, surprise you. you got the, the one day of good weather. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> so what was it that kind of started your passion for, for living and working abroad? Like, where did you head off to first? Um, I actually went to New York City oh. when I was 14 years old. I um, originally am a dancer. That's where my passion lays. Um, and my dance school had the opportunity to go to New York City and work with Janet Jackson's choreographer um, for a week. Wow. So we raised a bunch of money. We went to New York City. I mean, I'm 14 with all my best friends going to New York City with no parents. The dance instructors were our parents for the week and they were super fun. And yeah, it was a great time. So the minute I went to New York City, I was like, I am going to live in America. When I am 18 years old, I am leaving. I'm going to travel. And that's definitely what put the itch in my feet. Wow. <laughs> Your original plan was to be a dancer, was it? Yeah, I studied for two or three years in in college it was the Scottish School of Contemporary Dance. Um, my preferred style was like hip hop, jazz, street, commercial, more commercial stuff. And I went on to study in Scotland and just didn't didn't really enjoy it. The schools I wanted to go to were all in London. And just unfortunately, like my financial situation was not, um, I just couldn't go to London really um, and live there at that time. Yeah, instead I got a full-time job because I really didn't enjoy the dance course and I was so sick of being broke. Yeah, And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go and get a job, work, and then get out of here. <laughs> I went to work for BT. Yeah, if people don't know what that is, it's British Telecom. <laughs> <laughs> I worked in a call center 
Um, yeah, and I sold broadband, TV, and phone. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, at uh, like a 17, 18 year old, I was making good money. Um, so I kind of got trapped there. For, not trapped, okay. I, I was there for a year. And I remember like looking at the window being like, oh, this can't be it. Like I can't be stuck in this office for the rest of my life. I was like, I, I really can't do this. And then one of my really good friends, Stevie Joe, she was like, Shiv, I'm I'm going to move to Spain for the summer. And I was like, what do you mean? And she was like, my you, you know? So like, she's leaving. What am I going to do? And I was like, <laughs> oh gosh. But at the time I had like a, a long-term boyfriend from when I was very young, right. like 14 to 18. And the summer I was working in BT when it was coming to an end, I was like, you know, I'm not going to lie. He really annoyed me one weekend. And I was like, do you know what? I went on Ryanair and I booked a ticket to Spain. And I was like, I'm going to go and visit Stevie Joe for a couple of days. So I went, uh, I surprised her. She had no idea. And I was like, whoa, what is this lifestyle? Because I've, I never knew anyone that went abroad and just like lived there. To me, that was quite alien. And back then there was no one really doing it. So I went over there and I kind of seen the lifestyle and it was really laid back and fun. And there was lots of partying and sunshine and it was just a good time. So I came home and that was it. I I broke up with my boyfriend. I put in my, um, what's it called when you finish your job? resignation yeah yeah oh my god <laughs> and yeah bought a one-way ticket to spain and whereabouts in spain was this it was santa ponza all right okay. so it's like quite close to magaluf how long were you in spain for for the summer mm-hmm. and did you just go out there to sort of live with your mate yeah i mean i kind of just put it on her i was like i'm coming <laughs> and i'm living on your couch i hope that's okay <laughs> and she was like yeah i mean i didn't have a job i didn't have um yeah i know where to live but i knew one person and for me, for some reason, even though I'd never really done it before, that was enough. I was like, mm-hmm. nah, I'm I'm sick of doing the same thing over and over again. Like I need something new. So yeah, I just went and stayed on her couch and everything just like everything came together. It was crazy. Like it only took me a week to find an apartment, to find a job. Wow. And I wasn't even really looking, to be honest. I just kind of stumbled upon these things as I was introduced to people that she had met out there and everything. Yeah, everything oh, cool. Place. So it was just from meeting people yeah. who just opened up some doors for you. Yeah, it was crazy. Wow. So you stayed there for three months mm-hmm. and then what was it like the end of the season? And you- yeah, it was the end of the summer and I was like, right, I'm going to go home for a bit. However, um, a friend that I actually trained with in my dance college, that summer I went to Spain, she went to something called Camp America and I'd never mm. really heard of it before. And she mess- she was messaging me in the summer while she was with there and she was saying, Siobhan, you-, you need to come to America. You would love this. So I was really curious. I was like, what are you doing? Like, I don't really understand. And she was like, you must have seen The Parent Trap. And I was like, of course. She was like, I am living in The Parent Trap. And I was like, oh, <laughs> shit, I need to be a part of that. <laughs> so, yeah, I went home after the summer and Googled Camp America, read up a tiny bit about it. And literally, I think I applied the week I got home from Spain, I applied to go to America. How the selection process works is you put in your application all the things that you kind of specialize in or any experience that you have. And they basically put you into like a lottery and you you kind of just get picked out by the camps like that well the company I went through anyway it wasn't Camp America I went through because they were extremely expensive but it was a company called Gap 360 Mm -hmm. and they were amazing 
I had this one girl I dealt with the entire time. She kind of talked me through everything. There was a lot of paperwork to do, but she helped me through it all. You don't really get to pick where you want to go, what you want to do. You just put in what you have experience in. And then I think you can turn down like two camps if you're not interested and you want to go somewhere else. But I just, the minute I was interviewed and picked, I was like, yeah, I want it. I'm there. Yes. With regard to America, do you need visas for that? Is that what the yeah. Gap 360 sorted out for you? They help me along the way. Like they help me do the paperwork and things like that. But you have to, there's no American embassy in Scotland. So you either have to go to London or to Belfast right. and apply for your visa. And it's a, yeah, it's a pretty easy process once you're around the paperwork. And where did you get placed? Um, I was placed in Missouri. which is the middle of America. (laughs) Like really the middle of America, like Midwest in the middle of nowhere, but it was beautiful. It was in a national park um, and it was called Trout Lodge, Mm -hmm. the place I worked. So it wasn't actually your conventional kind of Camp American experience. Um, I kind of fell into a really different experience, not by choice, just um, it happened that way. Basically, long story short, um, there's this place called Trout Lodge in Missouri and it's almost like a family camp. So like you go there for um, the week or the weekend with your entire family and you would stay in this giant, beautiful lodge that overlooked this lake. The camp counselors, what that's what they called us, we would live um, in a cabin in the woods all together. So there was like 20 of us from all over the world living in this um, big cabin and our jobs kind of consisted of at the start of the summer, they would train us. So Originally, I was petrified of water. I've always been fine swimming in pools and things, but I have always had like a, a fear of water I can't see through. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, they were willing to put us through all our qualifications um, and they wanted to do lifeguard qualification and kind of instantly I was like, nah, thanks. They're like, please, please try it for us. And it ended up, I loved it. It was so good. Oh, cool. So we would say for a section of the day we would lifeguard for three hours and we would just watch the families and then say for another two hours the families would almost we would look after say two families and we would take them for an hour and a half to two hours and teach them how to do archery or riflery or outdoor living skills hiking yeah there was so much it was amazing literally out in a national park nothing around us like absolutely nothing like the nearest shop I think was like a 15 or 20 minute drive so we basically lived in like a a complex if that makes sense Mm -hmm. yeah on this giant lake and we had access to kayaks and canoes and paddle boards and if you've ever seen the parent trap like she was being serious you're living in the parent (laughs) trap it was unbelievable (laughs) i haven't actually seen it but (laughs) you haven't seen the parent trap Gina I think it's probably a bit after my time I think I was probably a bit it's old it's a it. classic <laughs> everyone has seen the parent <laughs> um so you enjoyed your experience at Camp America oh I loved it still I think to this day one of the best summers of my life hands down what was the best part of it um I think just being around people from all over the world. I've never been around that many people from so many different countries. And it was so interesting to me just hearing about like their upbringings and their school experiences. And it was really fun for us because probably past like 9 p.m., 
we were off so we could all hang out together and we would all go and do like night hikes or we'd swim in the lake and we would all just really get to know each other and still to this day that was I think 2013 like I still talk to the friends I made there so yeah I think just making lifelong friends and the memories I made there were just like something from a movie like whoa we did that did Mm. you have much free time then So my first year when I worked for Trout Lodge, I did. So we had two days off a week, which was cool because we could go and stay in in the city in St. Louis. So St. Louis is the nearest city to um, Potosi, which is the little town we were in. So we would, yeah, we could go camping. We could go to the theme parks. Like we really did make the most of it. But my second year, we didn't have much free time because I worked in a, a different area. With the application process for Camp America, did you have to put any money forward for that? Do you remember? Yes. Um, but I think this is why not, um, and I'm, I'm not speaking badly about the company Camp America. I just didn't go through them because at the time it was just too much money up front. Right. But the company Gap360, they really didn't ask for much. I think the startup kind of fee was like £100 at the time. Mm-hmm. And that was to get the app- application process going. However, all the other fees you were liable for. So you did have to pay for your visa. Mm-hmm. But I think Camp America includes that in a kind of big price. Yeah, like a big package price. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if it's that way anymore. But at the time back in like 2013, that's the way it were. 2012, even whenever I applied, you know, that's nearly 10 years ago now. <gasps> yeah. Whoa. But the good thing was I had the money that I saved up a lot of money when I worked in the call center. So I still had that. So I was quite comfortable in my first year going to America nice. with paying for the flights and paying for the visa and stuff. It wasn't much of an issue. So you said there that you did a second year. Where did you head to next? I actually stayed in the same place, but just went to a different part of the lake. So this lake was ginormous. It was a man-made lake. And at the bottom of the lake, we were at the top my first year in Trout Lodge. At the, the bottom of the lake, there was... I don't want to say an actual camp, but it was the the kind of um, the camp that you see in the movies where the mums and dads drop the kids off for the week or for a month. But yeah, same lake, still in Potosi, Missouri. It was just working actually with the kids 24-7, so no free time really. You mentioned earlier they wanted you to do a bit of lifeguarding. Yeah. So did you get a qualification from doing that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Were there other qualifications that you got from this experience as well? Yeah, I got my... <laughs> Uh, some sort of boat license I don't actually know what it is <laughs> um I would I, yeah I had to do tests to like um drive the pontoon boats around the lakes because I would take the kids and the families out in the lakes also uh NRA qualification so I would teach them how to use guns however it was just pellets that were inside these guns and um, so we do like rifle ray and like clay pigeon shooting not that often but we would if it was requested. So yeah, probably the majority of things that we did activity-wise that were dangerous, we got qualifications for. Yeah. Yeah. Was there much pay involved? Like obviously with accommodation and things, presumably they put you up, but in terms of wages, was there anything? Um, yeah, we did get paid. <laughs> Again, I'm not going to lie. I can't actually remember yeah. how much it was. I know that it was enough that at the end of the summer, we had booked a bunch of flights throughout America to go traveling. And so you really, you don't get paid a lot, but it's not what you're there for. Like you don't spend any money. Like you're on site, you get your breakfast, lunch, dinner, you have accommodation. You really, really don't need much money to be there. So no, you don't get paid much, but it's it's not something you 
you go to to get paid, you know. Yeah, and you don't have a lot of outgoing sponsors. No, and yeah. No, no, there's like one tuck shop that, you know, you treat yourself to an ice lolly if you really feel like it, but yeah. it's like a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> What's it like, kind of an average week? Was there any sort of other duties that you had to perform or yes, anything like that? there was. So, <laughs> this might take a while. Um, so, Saturdays is the day that the kids arrive. So Saturdays, you check your kids in, you get your kids for that week. I was in charge of the oldest girls. So I had 15 to 17 year olds. You worked with a partner. So um, me and the partner that I worked with, I think in total, we had maybe 10 girls that we had to look after. And once you've signed them in, you take them down to the lake. They do a swim test. So we lifeguard for a couple hours. We swim test right. 400 children. Wow. 400 children. Let me just say that. <laughs> <laughs> and then when that's done, they get they get bans on kind of what swim level they're at. So whether they're allowed to swim uh, in different parts of the lake. Then you sign them up for their activities. So they get a sheet of activities um, for the week and they put down what they would like to do. So whether that is, you know, they would like to do archery and kayaking and outdoor living skills and hiking and things like that so they they sign up so then there's people working that put them into categories and put them into groups and people of all ages go together and do what they would call clinics that night we would bond with the kids we tell them our names make them feel comfortable get them in the cabins and then that night we would do um an entire camp game so it was normally like a big sports game or something just a kind of icebreaker for everyone to get to know each other and then your your week would start, so your routine would start. So you you stay in the cabin with the kids. You wake them up in the morning. You all walk to breakfast together. You sit at the same table. You have breakfast together, and then you get break from them. And they they go off to their clinics for that day. And say I was teaching a dance clinic, so I would get a completely different group of kids for two hours. I'd do my dance clinic. I would do the kayaking clinic, and then I'd meet up with them for lunch. We'd go away, do our own thing. And then at night, normally every single night, there was some kind of entire camp group activity. Sometimes it would be the older kids just with the older kids because it ranged from like, I think, seven years old until 17 years old. Right. So the teenagers were quite split up from the younger kids um, at night times. And yeah, that was it. And then when it came to nighttime, you or your partner would swap. It's kind of funny. So how it set up, the older kids stay in the woods and their cabins are in like a half moon shape. And then there is a big, I don't know what you would call it, like a big pavilion in the middle. And we actually have to sit there and make sure they, they go to sleep and that they're not sneaking <laughs> out of their cabins and like and going kissing boys behind the other cabins, you know? Like we have to sit there and make sure. So we take turns every second night. I'm like, right, it's my turn. So from like eight o'clock until 10 o'clock, I'll sit in the pavilion with some of the other counselors and we'll just hang and listen to music. And yeah, make sure none of the kids, uh, you know, come out and get up to no good. Get up to no good. Yeah. Did you did you have many naughty kids? <laughs> um, I loved the naughty kids. Ah, I mean, I I wouldn't say naughty. They were just misunderstood. And you can, I think it's quite important with working with that kind of age group. You need to be more on on a sister level than a mum level to have respect from these kids and to give respect to these kids. I had some real interesting stories actually with the kids. Like I had one girl come to me and tell me that she felt like she was a boy. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, and she told me um, she was actually adopted from Russia 
and she felt like she couldn't tell her parents because she was adopted because her parents couldn't conceive a girl. It's like there were some really challenging things as well. Like I didn't really know how to deal with that. I was only 21 and I was like, whoa, okay. And I had some other girls come up and, you know, just tell me personal things about them and stuff. They felt like they could open up. So I think that for me was one of the best things. You like you can really make an impact on like how you choose to be that summer. You can really make an impact in some of these kids' life. So, yeah, that was probably one of the most rewarding things. Wow. Awesome. Yeah. Is that like your highlight of that experience is kind of making an impact with the kids? Is there anything else yeah. that kind of particularly sticks out in your mind as a highlight? Yeah, for sure. So we, we in my first year working at the lodge with the families, we would get sometimes weeks where certain groups would come in. So we had um, kids with terminal illnesses. Wow. Yeah, we had kids with anything you can really think of, all, all different types of groups. And there was this one kid who didn't have his arm from the elbow down right? and he really wanted to do archery and I'm, I think I spent two hours with him helping him at the end of the two hours he hit the target wow with the bow and arrow on his own I didn't even have to help him it was amazing that for me a hundred percent is my my favorite memory of working there for the summer because this kid just wanted to you know, do archery. And for him, it wasn't that easy. And to just be patient and take the time to help him. Yeah, that was, that was my highlight. Definitely. I think. That's so cool. Yeah. Is there anything that you could kind of pinpoint as a low point? In my second year, just not having much space and time for myself. You're with the kids 24 seven. And the only time that you have off, the kids will leave the camp. I think on, it is the, the Friday morning. So you have Friday morning, which ends up being Friday afternoon because you have to wait until their parents can pick them up. And you have until the Saturday morning and that's all your free time. So it's barely 24 hours in the week that you get free to yourself. Sometimes it can be overwhelming. You know, sometimes you're just having a bad day. You know, you just need an hour to yourself and you can't always get that. Maybe it's better now. And I don't know, I guess maybe now that people are more aware of what they need to Mm -hmm. be the best version of themselves maybe it's different yeah. but back then I didn't know how to articulate hey I need an hour for my mental health you know because I'm going crazy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was just kind of um yeah it, I, that's probably the one thing mm-hmm. I think yeah there was actually one more highlight that I just remembered yeah which probably shouldn't be a highlight <laughs> but for me it really was so <laughs> This might be really strange, but there was a situation where, I'm not kidding, the entire camp came down with a virus. Oh, God, not another bloody virus. Not this kind of virus. But they basically spewed and from the other end, it was violent. And so we have 90 staff members, I think 400, 420 kids. And I think we were down to 30 staff members. So once you had this virus, it was just a 48 hour thing, but you had to be in quarantine because it was so contagious. Right. And the minute someone puked in your cabin, that's it. You're shipped off to quarantine, which was just a cabin in the woods, really. And you were brought your breakfast, lunch and dinner. Wow. And for me, I ended up having to go and look after a bunch of seven-year-olds. Now, I'd been dealing with 17-year-olds. I wasn't that good with kids at the time. And I'm like, what am I supposed to do yeah. with 10 seven-year-old girls? Like, what do I do? I'm not trained for this. And they're like, you know, Shiv, you're just going to have to eat. Like, the whole place is falling apart. Yeah. Like, you got to come do this. Please come look after these kids for a couple of days. And it actually ended up being so much fun. Oh, these little oh. girls 
for hours, I would entertain them by just sitting in the grass, telling them, hey, go and pick flowers and put them in my hair. And I have a lot of hair. So like two hours later, I would just, I would have an entire head of flowers. And yeah, I don't know, for some people, it might not be that interesting. But for me, it was really funny just because it was like, it was not what I imagined myself doing was looking after seven-year-olds. I blatantly said at the start, I do not want to work with young children. Like I want to work with teenagers. And it was just so bizarre how everyone within 24 hours just like, I mean, there was people. There was people running along the dock, you know, like puking and holding their behind. Like it was, I know it sounds gross, (laughs) but it was hilarious. Just everyone was dropping like flies. I mean, it probably wouldn't be funny for me because if I got it, I would have felt so sorry for myself. But yeah, it was a, it was just a really bizarre um, experience. (laughs) But a good one. But a really good one. Yeah, I ended up bonding with all these little, little kids, which was cute. While you were out there, did you have any strange encounters with nature? Anything, snakes or spiders or anything like that? So once a week, there is a surprise drill, which is if a kid goes missing and we have to search and search the water. So we have to sweep the water, the lake bottom, which the area they can swim, I think the deepest part is like nine feet. Mm-hmm. So you just pray that you don't end up in the nine feet bit because you have to you have to dive down straight and then sweep the bottom of the lake to make sure there's no one there and what they do is they put like a big kind of dummy in the water and you have to find him within two minutes and if you don't they're like well you guys need to do that again because if a kid goes under you have to find them yeah anyway we were doing that one day we were doing the drills and everyone's shouting and i'm at deep parts i've got water in my ears and my nose and my mouth everywhere (laughs) and um I hear them shouting and I was like, I, I don't know what's going on. So I'm just going to keep going because maybe they're, you know, they're trying to make this super realistic and whatever. And anyway, the the drill finishes, we find them and I sit up in the dock and two of the bosses run over to me and they're like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, why? Like, am I not supposed to be? And they were like, there was a snake right on top of your head every time you were coming up for air. There was, <laughs> oh my God. and it wasn't just any snake. It was a copperhead and they're quite um, venomous. And I was like, yeah, I'm fine. Thank God. Oh my God. Yeah. And the second experience was in the cabin. Every night we'd get the kids together and we'd do like story time where we'd, I don't know, me and like the girl I worked with, we'd either just make up stories, speak about real stories or whatever, just entertain them basically for an yeah. hour before they went to bed. And um, we had like these pigeonholes in the cabin where the kids would put their shoes and their bags before they went to sleep. And I looked over and one of the youngest girls, she was 14 and tiny little thing. And I seen her bent down looking into one of the, like the bottom pigeonholes and just like, is that real? And I'm like, is what real? And she's like, this snake. And I was like, what do you mean? And I jump up <laughs> and I look and it's a copperhead snake and it's like parked up, ready to no. go. And I grab her by the hair because it was just instinct. I just grabbed her and pulled her back. <laughs> but I accidentally grabbed oh, her by gosh. the hair and pulled her back. And I'm like, everyone out of the cabin. And the, <laughs> the girl I was working with at the time, she's like, I'm not dealing with a snake like and I was like right okay give me a bin and I'll stand here and wait until it comes towards me and I'll cup it with a bin right and they're calling maintenance like we have these maintenance guys that comes and get snakes (laughs) if they're in the cabins yada 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 but I'm standing in here like waiting and the snake ain't moving like it's parked up but it's just like a baby but that's the that's probably a bad thing because you know they're quite snappy and I wait and I say to the the maintenance guy I'm like hey just make sure it's out of the cabin because it's like 10 p.m and the girls are freaking out like they're not gonna go to sleep so they're all sitting in the the pavilion like what I told you before like they're just sitting on the benches all together huddled together with their pillows and stuff you can only imagine 
And I'm like, I'm like, I come out and I'm like, don't worry, maintenance is in there. And the maintenance guy just decides to make a show of it. And he has those, um, you know, the big stick with a wire thing at the bottom mm-hmm. where they catch snakes. He had one of those. He decided to grab a shovel out of the back of his truck, put it on the floor and cut the snake's head off <gasps> with a shovel in front of these girls. And oh, that's no. it. You can imagine. And I'm like, mate, what'd you do that for? And he's like, I wanted to make sure that they knew it was dead. I said, no, just get I told you to get out. Yeah. Not murder it in front of them. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> oh, they're absolutely That's traumatized. <laughs> but yeah, they're the couple encounters I had with them. I've seen a few poisonous spiders and stuff as well, but nothing drastic. What was the biggest lesson from that experience? Was there anything Ooh. that you sort of came away with? Do you feel like you were the same person when you left? Or No. Because obviously you did the Spain season already. Yeah, but that, that was just full of people from the UK, you know. And people from similar kind of backgrounds and going to America was so different. I mean, culture shock for me was huge. Like Mm -hmm. what you see on the movies is what you walk into. And that for me was so bizarre. Like I think more so as well that the American people, like their view on the world was quite strange for me to listen to. Mm -hmm. Um, Like they didn't know where Scotland was. They didn't know that I spoke English as a first language. Like I would have comments like your English is really good. I'm like, what? (laughs) (laughs) And I'd get in trouble because they'd be like, Siobhan, we know this is the way you are, but like you can't be that upfront with people here because they think you're being serious. And I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, it was a culture shock. And also I felt like just my view on a lot of things changed. My eyes widened and like my mind widened, if that makes sense. Just because I met people with a lot of different experiences and from different countries and a lot of different conversations that weren't happening back home. A lot of conversations about the world and politics and things like that. And like I say, where I'm from, that isn't actually... Um, the people that I surrounded myself that wasn't really the conversations that were happening so yeah I felt like I left with more knowledge um, and maybe more empathy for things I didn't have in the past. Mm -hmm. Do you have any particular advice for anyone who is thinking about doing this like anything to do with visas or uh, and the visa part is fine I think just doing the application and going Mm -hmm. I can imagine is probably the hardest part for me, I was 19 years old, getting on a plane to America on my own. Pretty like intimidating. It's quite Big intimidating. Stuff. Yeah. And I think you have to think about the end goal and not how you're going to get there, really. I know that's quite mm. um, backwards for most things, but the experience definitely overrides the fear that you're going to have leading up to applying for this or thinking about it or worrying about it. Yeah, I think just go. If this is in your head to do, because it's not really something that you can always do. And I find that the younger you are, probably the better. Like I would advise everyone who's just getting out of school, go and do a summer there. Like because the things you'll learn and the life experience that you will get as well is massive. Like I would have never become a lifeguard if I didn't go there or shoot a rifle as much as that's not (laughs) you know something I really need in my life but like just the the experiences you'll probably not really get doing anything else it sounds fantastic so after Camp America did you head back home to Scotland then yeah I did I spent a little bit of time of time sorry in Scotland I think I was there for maybe like eight months this time I was there for quite a while. Yeah, I worked in a local restaurant and actually ended up working with a guy that I met at Camp America. I met a guy one day when we were lifeguarding in the water. He, long story short, he was from the town 
basically next door to me. And what? he knew, yeah, he knew a bunch of friends. He actually dated one of my best friends, which is bizarre. <laughs> um, and we both got back to Scotland roughly at the same time. And he was looking for a job. And I was like, hey, you could probably work in this restaurant with me. So, yeah, it was really bizarre because we ended up working in a restaurant together Smart. after being in America. Small yeah. World. So, yeah, I worked there um, for the summer. And then that winter is when I went on my first snowboard holiday where I'm from in Scotland. No, I don't know anyone that goes skiing and snowboarding. Mm-hmm. So I went with a friend to France for my first snowboarding holiday. And what was that like? It was good. <laughs> for someone who has never snowboarded before in their life to get taken up a red slope I was petrified petrified mm-hmm. I had bruises all over my body but apart from that it was super fun like they have this place called La Folie Douce which is like in, in the middle of the slope for anyone who hasn't been it's a DJ outside who has like live artists performing with him so there's like a guy or a girl on the saxophone like it, it's wicked it's and mad, yeah. yeah went over new year's eve so yeah it was it was really good fun i loved i i did really enjoy that holiday it was wicked but you couldn't snowboard at this point no did you get God, any lessons no. For some reason, no. <laughs> the friend I went with tried to teach me. I mean, your friend's trying to teach you. It, it just isn't a good thing. It's a complete waste of time. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> money. Yeah, and you get frustrated at them. And I'm just like, you are torturing me right now. Please leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's my one piece of advice for anyone who goes on a snowboarding oh, or lessons. ski holiday. Yeah. yeah, don't waste your week no. trying to get a mate. I yeah. paid like, what, 350 euros, I think, for a week. Probably didn't even need to pay for a lift pass because I was using the, the magic carpet, which is normally for the kids. <laughs> so I was I was livid because I'm midweek now, third day into snowboarding, and I've been <laughs> on the magic carpet the whole time and I haven't actually gone up any of the ski lifts. Like I said, the first day I did, in my friend... <laughs> kindly took me up a red and yeah I think it scarred me so I was like nah I'm not I'm not going up these lift things anymore I can't even get off of them without killing someone (laughs) so no I'm going to stay in the magic carpet that's where you'll find me (laughs) but you loved the experience oh yeah it was wicked for me I live in a seaside town so you don't see any snow ever Mm -hmm. really I think flying into France and driving through the valley to get up to Val Torrens I was just like whoa is this real it was amazing and like the apres ski side of things as well like you come off the slopes and there's just music everywhere and everyone's having a great time and still in their ski and snowboard stuff and they're dancing and they have beers in their hands and yeah it's just a it's really a really fun holiday that I think everyone should experience yeah for sure and we had a our rep who was called Camilla I got chatting to her during the weekend we lived in we lived we stayed in um, a cabin type thing where you know your your breakfast and your dinner was made by the reps was it like a chalet situation? yeah chalet sorry it was a chalet mm-hmm. and we ended up hanging out with her quite a bit like she was around my age maybe a little bit older and super fun and again I, I i went to a different country and seen a different side of people living in you know i'd been to spain i'd seen that that side of things but people are in the snow and they're like they're doing sport and stuff and they're working and they're partying and what what's going on here? How do you, how do you all do this? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and I said to her, I was like, do you reckon I'd be able to get a job here? And she's like, oh, I think it's maybe a bit too late in the season now, but keep in touch with me and I'll, I'll try and help. So I went home and I um, was working in a cafe and again, it was dark. It was Scotland. I think there's like two hours of sunshine in the winter and I was just like, nah, I need out here. It was that time again. Yeah. I was like, I can't do this. 
I have this one friend named Poppy Moon and she is like a world-class traveler. Anywhere you can imagine in the world she has been. So I sent her a message and I was like, Poppy, do you know anyone in the snow? Anyone? Anywhere? I don't care. She's like, Shiv, I, I do actually. I know this guy. He lives in Austria somewhere. Let me contact him. So she contacted him. Turns out to be Phil Blank, the guy oh, really? in the band that is the intro to your, your podcast. Yeah. yeah. Um, it turned out she knew him. Um, I'll cut back a bit. He owns a house here and a lot of the seasoners live there. And he contacted me and he was like, hey, Shiv, I don't have anything at the minute, but I'll keep you in mind. Not even a week later, I... I'm not going to lie. It was Saturday night. I was having a breakdown in my kitchen with my mom. Like, what am I doing in Scotland? Next minute, ping, my phone goes. It's Phil Blank saying, someone's broken their foot. They're going back home. Do you want to come to Marhoff and I have a room for you? So I was like, yeah. And I was on a flight, maybe like three days later, out to Marhoff. So going to France kind of put the itch back in my feet to go traveling again. Next minute, boom, I'm here in Marhoff in January, which was pretty taboo because... They say, you know, if you're not here at the start of the season, you're never going to find a job. You're never going to find accommodation. No, it it was like the Spain thing. Everything just fell into place super quickly. Did you have savings or something? My mom and dad were really good with me at that point, actually. I remember my dad paid for my flight for me to go to Austria because they seen I was pretty unhappy in Scotland. And my dad paid for my flight. And my mom and dad paid for a secondhand snowboard and a secondhand like snowboard oh. bag um, and boots and yeah, they, they helped me, but I had enough money and a credit card to pay for my ski pass. Um, <laughs> so you arrived in Myhoff and did you know anyone else when you arrived? No, I didn't know one person. Not one person. No. Nope. So how did you meet people? Well, so I moved into this house um, just outside of Meyerhoff and right. called Phil's. The Sh- yeah, Phil's place is Schwendt House, which is typically a uh, a season air house you know it's a lot of rooms I don't know how many people can actually fit in it but I think at the time there was maybe like 14 people staying in it pretty big house so it was kind of the perfect setting to walk into because you're walking into a house where there's already a bunch of people here they've already been here for a while and yeah we all like I just clicked with them instantly there was mostly boys there was one other girl in there Josie uh, which we really got along as well but it was really nice I'm not gonna lie I did panic when I first got here because I went to Valterens and it was all pretty close together, like big kind of party scene in the sense of like, yeah, apresky music everywhere. And I, I got driven to this place in, um, outside of Meyerhofen and I yeah. was like, oh God, where am I? Like, I'm in farmland, like what's going on? And it's a bit different to, to France. Obviously it took me about two minutes to fall in love with the place, but mm. I think initially I was quite nervous because I was like, oh God, I really don't know anyone here. And just um, outside of the actual main yeah, town. Yeah, just outside of the town. But thankfully, the people that were living in that house were so nice that they come straight into my room, introduce themselves. Like one guy, just his name is Chris Goes Away. He's a really, how'd you put it, like out there guy, like super friendly German guy. And he was one of the <laughs> first people I met and he just came and sat on my bed. And he was like, darling, do not worry. We take you to the bar. You will meet everybody. <laughs> I was like, okay. Woo. And yeah, that was it. That night I went to the bar and pretty much met a bunch of people that are still my closest friends cool. to this day. Yeah. Wicked. Could you snowboard at this point? No. You still didn't get much out of that I, holiday. No, <laughs> I could like heel slip down the mountain and that was it. You're a very good snowboarder now. How did that happen? (laughs) 
Well, I lived in a house full of snowboarders. Right. And they were super patient with me. And luckily, oh, Caitlin lived in the house as well. How could I forget that? I'm so sorry. And <laughs> um, one of our other friends lived in the Schwander house as well. And me and her were kind of on the same, like she hadn't really snowboarded that much. So it was good because I had a few people that were on similar kind of levels to me. However, everyone in the house was super patient and they would wait for you and they would give you tips like some of them were snowboard instructors so for me it was really good and yeah I picked it up pretty quickly to actually snowboard properly but yeah from there on yeah excellent where did you work at that point because you when you came here did you have a job lined up you obviously got the accommodation sorted before you got here I worked in a place called the steakhouse I worked in there doing the bar Mm -hmm. and I got it through a guy that I lived with in the Schwendau house he was a waiter there Right. And he said, oh, our girl um, who was the barmaid has just quit. You should come speak to the owner. So again, that happened super quick. That was in my first week of being here, mm-hmm. which was really good. And yeah, I worked there for pretty much the whole season, which was good because it forced me to learn a bit of German because all the tickets that came through to the bar were all in German. So I had to learn the entire drinks menu that was in German. You so? Yeah, <laughs> that was pretty interesting. But no, I was lucky because they were really nice to work for and things like that. So Cool. Yeah, I got lucky. You've pretty much been coming back here <laughs> ever since. Every winter since, yeah. Yeah. So what happened after that season? Back to Scotland again or elsewhere? Well, I was already kind of thinking ahead at this point. I was like, right, I've got the winter season done too. And I have stuff to do in the summer. So why don't I just start doing kind of like back-to-back things so I don't have to go back to Scotland that much. Not that there's anything wrong with Scotland, but it just, it wasn't somewhere I wanted to spend a lot of time, you know? So I remember I was sitting in my bed one time actually while I was here in Meyerhoff and near the end of the season and I was scrolling through Instagram and this uh, this post came up and it was an uh, advertisement for a surf camp in Portugal and it really got me because it was like a picture of all these kind of like teepee looking things next to the beach and it just looked like the most desirable place ever. And I'd never really known anyone that had done like a surf season per se but I was like do you know what I think I'm getting the hang of this and I don't know if they're hiring but I'm just gonna send them a message and be like hey I have a summer free if you guys need any help at the summer camp like I'd love to come and help I have no plans I'm free as a bird and then I went home I hadn't heard from them Mm -hmm. it's really bizarre because it it kept happening to me it was always a Saturday night and I was drinking with my mum having a wee breakdown in the kitchen being like mum what am I doing here like I can't stay here like this is driving me insane and then bing I'm not even lying my phone goes and it's someone from the surf camp and it's called Dream Sea (laughs) Surf Camp in Portugal and it was this guy being like hey we actually have had I think they had some work away people drop out and he's like we need some help setting up the camp for a few weeks do you want to come so I was like, I would, but I'd like to stay for the summer. Like, I don't want to just come for a few weeks. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, come see how you get on. And then maybe we find you a role. And I was like, I'm never leaving. <laughs> <laughs> I'm staying. Yes, I went there. And um, yeah, that was it. I stayed there for the entire summer. Whereabouts was the surf camp? It was in a place called Miletus, which is just under kind of Lisbon in Portugal. Tiny, tiny, tiny little um kind of fishing village off the coast of Portugal. And what sort of work were you doing? Well, (laughs) in the (laughs) beginning, I was supposed to be setting up, um, helping set up the surf camp. So I actually got picked up. Can I just actually take it back a bit? I landed in Lisbon Airport and they just gave me directions. So they were like, get the train to this town here and then someone's (laughs) going to pick you up. 
And I was like, okay. So I got the train to this place and my phone wasn't working. I was like, sick. I'm stuck somewhere in Portugal without a phone. And I stood there and I was like, I have no, I didn't even ask who's picking me up. I've got no idea. (laughs) So (laughs) I get off the train and I'm like looking around at people that are like standing outside their cars. And I'm like, who looks like they work at surf camp? And I was like, oh God. Next minute, this van came around the corner and this Japanese chick and this Scottish guy comes out the van. He's like, hey, is your name Siobhan? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's me. He's like, we're here to pick you up for the surf camp. And I was like, sick, okay. So I got on the car. Yeah, really random that he ended up being Scottish. Um, drove me there, like in the middle of nowhere. And for me, for some reason, my mind always wanders off. Like when you get in a car with strangers and you're going to somewhere that you have no idea you're going to. Bit of a vulnerable position. Yeah, like going through a bunch of bushes. I have no idea where I'm going. Yeah, so we pull up in like a a place that kind of, I guess it kind of looked like a like a caravan site. It kind of had some caravans on site and we went through and he drove to the very, 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 very end. And then out through the trees you you just seen um the sea and it was beautiful, but there was there was barely anything there. There was a couple tents and so my original job was to set up all the teepees. Right. Um paint them and I was doing just about everything from like making decorations and stuff for the camp which sounds random like we were doing like making like lanterns and decorating um the teepees building the the tiki bar just some kind of manual labor really (laughs) to be honest and there wasn't many of us there was only me the scottish guy japanese girlfriend and the owners but my job role took a bit of a shift whenever we were playing um a german drinking game one night called flunky ball and that basically consists of running and drinking beer running and drinking beer (laughs) and Siobhan runs out of the floodlights like I I put my foot through these big two industrial nails but I was I was I was pretty drunk eh so like I I knew I stepped on something but I was like I'm not even gonna look and I'm just gonna pull my foot out of whatever is going on and even at the time I didn't take it fully seriously I was like ah it's bleeding a bit I'm fine and like we didn't take it that seriously that they put me in a wheelbarrow and like pretended it was an ambulance and we were like running around in the sand like yeah and then I woke up in the morning and my foot was throbbing and they tried to take me to the hospital but like none of them could speak English so a long story short someone ended up bandaging me up but I couldn't do the manual labor stuff anymore. So like, what am I going to do? <laughs> so people started arriving, all the staff started to arrive and I'm quite friendly, I would say. And the boss came up to me and they were doing like team building exercises with the staff before they opened up the camp. And I was like hosting all of the games and they were mostly drinking games. So I would have, <laughs> I'd have the microphone and I'd be like, basically like emceeing these drinking games egging everyone on you know having a good time and he was like so we've been thinking maybe we need like an entertainment manager for the camp Mm. and I was like yeah tell me more (laughs) and they were like yeah we think you'd be perfect for the job and I was like sick so my role basically was to greet everyone that came in Uh, we'd have a party that night everyone would introduce themselves and I'd be the person who would yeah host all the parties I would host all the games that would happen. If people didn't want to surf that day for some reason, if they didn't feel like it, I would host like the volleyball games and stuff on the beach. I would take them to Lisbon once a week on like a bus tour and basically be like their tour guide. 
It was uh, it was loads of fun. I would take them around Lisbon, show them the best spots. Um, we'd have dinner together. We'd have drinks together. We'd party a little bit. And then we'd get on the bus back to the camp. Yeah. I, I was just there to make sure they had a good time. That's awesome. Yeah. It was a good job. I guess you got accommodation included with that? Our accommodation was actually a tent. <laughs> fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the camp is basically like a bunch of teepees. Right. And then you almost have like the glamping teepees as well. Mm -hmm. So no one lives in like apartments or anything. And the staff are all kind of, we call it like the ghetto, which is like down the hill (laughs) next to the caravans (laughs) in all of our tents. But it was like, like I said, it was just for the experience. Like, would I do it now? No. (laughs) Then it didn't bother me that much. Um, I guess when it got into late July and it got super hot, that's when it became a bit uncomfortable. But yeah, it was good fun. I literally had no idea you lived in a tent Uh, for a summer. Yeah, I lived in a tent for a summer, Gina. Actually in a tent. How big was the tent? (laughs) Not big. Was it like a, what, like a two-man tent, four-man tent? Two-man tent. That's mad. I can't believe you lived in a two-man tent for three months. Yeah. Now you say it like that. It's, yeah, I can't believe I did it either, to be honest. But done. (laughs) It was all for the experience, mate. Yeah. What was the best thing about working that summer in Portugal? I think that summer is when it clicked that I could really make a job out of anything. So like this job wasn't even technically part of their company at the time. Like there wasn't really a job role doing that. And because of, yeah, me just talking way too much, it gave me that job (laughs) role. So like, I guess that was one of my highlights where I was like, huh, whoa, you really can just create a position position for yourself. And yeah, especially in something that's so new because it was really new at the time. Now they have camps all over the world. Mm-hmm. But um, at that time, I was like, whoa, yeah, this is cool. Also, probably the f- one of the first times in my life that I like, you can see the Milky Way, the sky in that area of Portugal was, I, I might sound stupid saying that, it might be that way in the whole of Portugal, but like the sky was unbelievable. Like you would sit on that cliffside every single night and you would just see 15 shooting stars every single night. It was amazing. That's so cool. Were there any kind of low points during that summer? Um, I guess late July when the flies came and it was really hot in that tent. (laughs) But probably the second part was that's when I did start to just feel a little bit lost. I was like, what am I doing here? Like, this is fun traveling around, but I'd traveled a little bit by myself at this point. And I was just, yeah, I was just kind of feeling um, as much as the job role and stuff was cool. I just, I felt a lack of purpose. Really? Even though that might sound bizarre because I'm living this kind of crazy summer life. But yeah, I really kind of lacked purpose with my, especially my free time as well. I wasn't really, I didn't really have many hobbies outside of what I was doing at the surf camp at the time. So yeah, found myself just kind of walking around being like, what well, well, how am I doing? A kind of light bulb moment where I was, you know, kind of getting into my 20s and stuff. And I was like, you like what am I doing (laughs) yeah yeah for sure did you do any surfing while you were there I did a little bit um Mm -hmm. not so much because my my foot took a long time to heal because I lived in a tin and um (laughs) (laughs) yeah it didn't get to heal up very quick but um no I didn't do probably more of a personal choice I didn't do so much surfing which would have been the perfect opportunity for me to learn but I'm not going to lie, I spent a lot of that summer eating and drinking, so I put on a bit of weight. 
completely transparent here. I was quite like self-conscious. I didn't want to go surfing. I was yeah. like, oh God, Siobhan. <laughs> no. <laughs> Aww. So not much surfing Spear, anyway. And no. it was probably a good idea that you didn't with your, with your bad foot. Yeah. <laughs> when you were feeling a bit sort of lost, do you think that that was down to societal pressures or what, what kind of brought that on? I don't think it was societal pressures at the time because um, we didn't really get much phone range out there. So it's not like I was sitting looking on the internet. I didn't have a laptop. I pretty much out in nature 24 mm. 7 i've never really had a desire to live that kind of regular kind of nine to five life i think i figured that out quite early on as mm-hmm. a teenager that that's something i didn't want but if i'm honest i'm not entirely sure what started it but i just do remember just feeling a little bit um, <laughs> like sad as this may sound just a bit empty because i did reflect where i was what i was doing kind of the opportunity that I had in that moment but I still felt quite unfulfilled right I didn't feel like I was progressing and moving forward and um I just kind of felt like I was like you know floating around in this kind of like season lifestyle not concentrating on much else outside of that and I think the thought of thinking about what to do next was quite exhausting even though I knew I wanted to do something that wasn't just go back home mm-hmm. but I think I was already kind of being like, oh, what am I doing next? You know? Yeah. yeah. So what did you do next? I came back here. <laughs> I was like, you know what? I'm not, I wasn't going to though. That's a thing. Yeah. So I got a real job for a company called Find My Past, oh, which right. is uh, like a family tree company. Obviously, I, I've said before, I didn't want to just go back to the regular life, but I, I, did, I went back to Scotland for a few months and I was like, you know, maybe I should kind of work for a bit you know money was running low at this point and I was like oh it's probably not best for me to go back and do a season like maybe I should work for a year and then go somewhere like Australia or something and live properly but I um I started working in an office again and I was earning pretty good money I think my job role was actually classed as marketing and communications okay I'm not gonna lie completely lied to get that job (laughs) I said I had a degree. I don't. My the boss knows now. I did tell him actually after I was working. There. I was like, um, by the way, I didn't have a degree. He was like, well, yeah, now I know you. I um, it, I don't put it past you that you you said you did and you don't. <laughs> <laughs> but I just knew. I seen the wage and I was like, this wage is good. The hours aren't bad. I'm gonna get this job. Mm-hmm. So I guess I just kind of did what I had to to get it, and I liked it. <laughs> but yeah basically all I did was answer emails and do some other kind of boring stuff but the moment happened again where I was looking out the window and I was like what am I doing what am I gonna do I'm like what are my options at the end of the day my options were endless I had no responsibilities at all in the slightest and I was just making life hard for myself I was just going in circles around in my head being what should I do you know rather than what do I want to do I guess yeah Um, we all do it (laughs) and I had friends from here that I'd met the year before being like Shiv what are you doing this year you know we're all getting ready to go out and a few of our friends were already here as I was getting these messages through, I decided one day to pretend I was working but just watch YouTube videos of snowboarding all day long and I was like oh that's it and I sent my mom a picture of Skyscanner and I was like mom I'm doing it and she's like you do it I booked a flight to Munich then and there (laughs) while I was working and then I was like I'm sorry I'm I'm gonna leave (laughs) yeah yeah so you came back you came back to Meyerhofen I did yeah I did um I came back uh through a friend of a friend got an apartment 
which is cool. And um, I surprised some people. A lot of people didn't know I was coming back. I surprised my friend Caitlin here in Mike's sports bar, which I'd never been to the season before. Mm-hmm. Met Mike, met Wendy, the people that worked in this bar, and then ended up working here <laughs> for that season and the next and the next. <laughs> yes, Mike's sports bar. We love it. <laughs> so you did another season in Meyerhofen and then where? Yeah, so after my second season here, I I went home, not for that long. Uh, my best friend moved to London. So I thought, oh, maybe maybe I'll, I'll go to London for a bit. I had London in my head like I had New York. Okay. You know, I thought I was going to go there and it was going to be amazing. And as cool as London is, like it just didn't do it for me. Like I, at this point, had been used to mountains and quite secluded places. And London was super overwhelming. Yeah. Super overwhelming. I can imagine. Like I'm not kidding, Gina. I think within that summer... I had six jobs. Oh, wow. I just kept quitting. I was like, nah, I'm not dealing with this. Like a a lot of hospitality jobs. I think I worked in the top of Selfridges maybe. I think there's like a restaurant there. Mm -hmm. Wow. People click at you. They whistle at you. I lasted, I think, three hours and I quit. And I was like, I'm not not doing this. Wow. Goodbye. I worked in a bar where the the people that are on that TV show Made in Chelsea – Oh yeah, they would come in <laughs> again. Nah, this this isn't for me. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I started um, working for a festival company, and I worked at a bunch of festivals that summer, which was really good fun. I got to experience Glastonbury, big which, up the Somerset massive. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> if you have never been to Glastonbury, <laughs> it is something you have to experience once in your life. It was insane. It's a different world, isn't it? It's yeah. Wonderful, but again, wonderful I spent the summer intense and that's why I didn't go back to Portugal. But then I ended up working for festivals and ended up living <laughs> in tents again for the summer. Tent life. Oh, and I'd done a few and then I got to, is it festival number four, the one in Wales? I don't know. I don't know. It's called festival number something. And um, <laughs> it got the tail end of that hurricane. Oh, right. And it was wild. Like the tents ended up in the sea and I was like, you know what, mum, mum, can I come home? <laughs> I was like, I've had enough of this. <laughs> can I come home? And she was like, of, of course you can. So I went back to Scotland for a little bit. I was there for a few months, you know, worked at a bar and I was just like, nah, again, it's not for me. I'm going back to my house and sorry, bye. Obviously, now you've been back to my house a few times. What is it that draws you back to this place? Um, I think it's the people. There is a real community feel to this town. And you come here and you meet really good friends and they all seem to come back as well. Yeah. And you always have such a good time with them that you're like, well, I want to go back to where all my friends are going. Well, I don't want to go anywhere else and do this all over again and meet new people. Like people would say that to me. They're like, do you not want to try and do ski season somewhere else? I'm like, no, like, cause I love this place. It's wicked. Like the people are amazing. I've been really lucky with the jobs I've had as well. Like my bosses have been really nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That season I, um, I'd met a boy previously in previous seasons. He is now my boyfriend after <laughs> four years or something like crazy. I'd wanted to go to New Zealand. He'd wanted to go to New Zealand and this season we decided together hey why don't we apply for our visas and go to New Zealand so yeah that was it it was my first time living with someone ever like that and we also decided to pack up and move across the world together (laughs) whereabouts in New Zealand did you head to Uh, we went to um, a little town called Wanaka 
which is in the South Island, which is just under Queenstown. And they have a local mountain called Cadrona, right. which I think Lara maybe mentioned in the last episode. Mm-hmm. But um, we, yeah, we wanted to go there to snowboard and we had met friends here that are either from Wanaka or have spent a long time in Wanaka. And all we've heard is good things. So yeah, we decided to pack up and move to New Zealand. Accommodation in Wanaka was not easy to find. It's good because normally a lot of these places that people go for seasons, there is seasoner pages on Facebook. Yeah. So pretty much all towns that draw tourism, there is a local page on Facebook for that town. Mm. And that is the number one place to find accommodation. So we kept an eye on some of the, the pages and a bunch of accommodations come up. They get snapped up real quick. Yeah. Um, so we had to have notifications on 24-7. We had our flights booked to go. We were in Scotland, maybe a week away from going and we still didn't have accommodation. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we booked our flights before we even had our accommodation. Um, and yeah, last minute, someone kind of posted. I got to her first. We organized it it's it's really bizarre because most of the time you maybe see a picture or a video of the house but like you have no idea where you're going and what you're in for yeah <laughs> yeah we got off the flight in queenstown and i think we'd missed the bus into wanaka and we didn't like none of our friends were there at that point so we knew no one so we were kind of like stuck at the airport like how how are we gonna get to wanaka like we have no idea how to get here so we just posted on the season air group hey we're stuck at the airport is anyone driving and luckily this amazing amazing indian man was working next to the airport and he was like hey i live in wanaka and i'm gonna finish work in 30 minutes i'll come pick you up this is the color of my van and yeah he was great and he picked us up and bless him he was trying to talk to us the whole way there but i'd fallen asleep because we just got off like a 34-hour flight (laughs) (laughs) 34 hours yeah it took a long time to get there because obviously we picked the cheapest flight Ah. (laughs) (laughs) so the most connecting we're in singapore we're in oh god i can't even remember all the places we stopped Uh, sydney singapore uh dubai maybe we we stopped in a lot of places before we actually got to (laughs) new zealand (laughs) So I guess the main point to take away from that is getting there as early as you can for accommodation in New Zealand. Yeah, if you want to go to Wanaka, definitely maybe try and organise it more than a week in advance before you get there. But it, it was fine. It worked out. Yeah. We got there in the end. Did you enjoy your time in Wanaka? I did. It was different. Because you... obviously this is your first ski season away from Europe. Yeah. The snowboarding side of things was great for Amir my other half because it has a really good park so for people that like to do the rails and the jumps and things like that and a lot of the athletes train there before um competition season starts it's a fantastic park the slopes were quite short and but for me it was probably less about the snowboarding and more about like the hiking the biking and just exploring Wanaka as a whole because it's almost like a scene from Jurassic Park like it's really beautiful it's this big lake in the middle of this little town and then the drive into the city is over all these big mountains. It's, yeah, it is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful place. Awesome. Yeah. We did a road trip at the end of our time there. And I was like, whoa, how do you go from glacier to jungle? It's so confusing. <laughs> On your road trip, was there any places that particularly stand out? Yeah, there is. And whether I'm going to pronounce them or say them right is a whole other story. <laughs> <gasps> oh, um, Kaikoura. That is on the 
east side of the South Island. That is insane. And I'm so gutted because we went to Kaikoura and the only reason we got to do a road trip in the first place is because our friend let us borrow his van. Right. His van wasn't even really a van. It was more of like a, you know, like one of those kind of like old school soccer mum cars. It was basically just a big family car that he'd put a mattress in the back of it. So New Zealand isn't like Scotland where you have the right to roam. You're not allowed to just camp anywhere, which I wasn't really aware of. I think Amir was more aware of it than me. So like our (laughs) first night, we were driving up the West Coast and we stopped at the side of the road because I was like, I don't know where we can stop. We're really hungry. And he had like this kind of gas cooker thing. I set it on fire, obviously, (laughs) the side of the road. It was going dark. And I think I'd spilled one of the gas canister things that went on fire. He had put out whatever. Anyway, um, long story short. So we were like, we were trying to do it on the cheap. Because after our road trip, we were going to Indonesia. So we we were driving. And I mean, it probably wasn't even that much to stay in these campsites. Eh? Like it really probably wasn't much. It was probably like $30 for the night for the both of us. <laughs> but we were, we were driving <laughs> after dark. So there was no one working on the front door for people coming in. Mm-hmm. So we were going in, we're sleeping. And I'm like, um, 6 a.m., come on, wake up. We've got to get out of here before someone knocks on our door. <laughs> Drive out. Ridiculous, I know. Anyway, we were driving up the west coast of the South Island and that was insane. So we went to like Fox Glacier, which is this giant glacier. But then maybe five hours up, you were in this place. I remember it is pancake rocks and blowholes. So that was like the marketing for it. And I think it was called Punakaki. You might have to Google it. Oh, I feel like I'm going to get shredded for saying it like that. But, um, oh, wow. It was amazing. It was like, I'm not even kidding when I say Jurassic like, It was like Jurassic Park. And you would drive for three hours and not see one car. Wow. It was mad. And like, you would drive and you're surrounded by these massive, these cliffs are just swallowing you up on either side of you. And there's there's waterfalls coming out of the cliffs. How is that happening? I don't even, it was amazing. It was so beautiful. And for some reason, we took a turn into these bushes one night. because we're like, where are we going to camp? Like, we can't pull the car in anywhere that's like a no camp zone. And we pulled the car into these bushes and somehow ended up out on this beach. And it was amazing. I'm like, how did we just find this by accident? And it was in this place that I think is called Punakaki. Could be wrong. Um... (laughs) But it was, yeah, it was unbelievable. Woke up in the morning on the beach. Yeah, insane. Like the most insane sunsets and sunrises I think I've seen. That's so cool. Yeah. And then you drove from the East Coast to the West Coast. And it was weird because like some parts of New Zealand are like kind of rural America. Okay. So like, (laughs) you know the movies when you're like, in like the western when you're going through the town and there's like those hay bales and it's like quite wooden and stuff yeah yeah that's the kind of architecture that's in some of new zealand it's quite bizarre um yeah it's like what you wouldn't imagine so you go from the snow to like stuff that looks like the jungle to then stuff that kind of looks like a wild wild west movie and it's all very (laughs) confusing (laughs) i was really i was like whoa there's so many cultural mix-ups here you know like it's quite confusing (laughs) but it was so beautiful new zealand very beautiful but the i guess the one downfall to new zealand is i felt as far away as i was i felt really far away Mm -hmm. um from my family and my friends i really didn't know many people there thankfully i got a job working for a company that was super inclusive they did a lot of group activities at nights so i worked for um 
uh, ski rental shop. That was good. That's how I made friends. And I made made friends with Lauren there that you've had on the podcast before as well. Yeah, Lauren's our very first podcast. Yeah, I met her actually in the, the ski rental shop I worked in. Oh, I think cool. she had met Amir up the mountain and Amir had said, hey, my girlfriend doesn't really have anyone to snowboard with. You and her <laughs> should be friends. <laughs> and she walked into the ski rental shop and she was like, are you Siobhan? And I was like, yeah. What have I done? She's like, no, I met your boyfriend up the mountain. Like, my name's Lauren. And from then we became friends. And oh, wicked. Bizarre. She's your first yeah. podcast person. Yeah. Anyone who's listening, go back and check out episode one. Definitely. <laughs> and now you live with her. I do. Yeah. Yeah. It's so bizarre. <laughs> Did you get a lot of snowboarding in that season? No. Why is that? <laughs> I know why it is, but why yeah. is that, Siobhan? Do you want to hear the story? <laughs> yes. When I worked in a ski rental shop, because I worked in a small one, it's called Rocket Rentals in Monaco. And we kind of took the shift in turns, whether we were going to work during the day or on the split shift. In the split shift, you got to go snowboarding. Um, and at the beginning, I took a lot of the day shifts. And then I was doing a split shift one day and I was like, right, okay. And there's a massive hiking culture in Monica. We bought a car, but it actually, it couldn't make it up the mountain because it was <laughs> such a piece of shit. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> like we would drive to the bottom of Cadrona and then we'd have to hitchhike up to the very top to oh, go wow. snowboarding. Anyway, one day we did this and I was on a chair with this woman. I realized it was Jamie Anderson. Uh, we ended up getting on the same chairlift a couple of times. So I just naturally got chatting to her. And, you know, I tried to pretend I didn't really know who she was, but obviously I did. Um, for, those, for those listening, who is yeah, Jamie Anderson? Yeah, Jamie Anderson is like the Olympian gold medalist in female snowboarding, gold medalist, X Games. She is, yeah, one of the best. So I just said, hey, like, have you got any tips, you know, for a female in trying to snowboard, trying to be better, you know, because it's quite competitive with the male side of things and snowboarding, but it's really intimidating, you know? Mm-hmm. She's like, just follow the boys. And I was like, oh, really? And she's like, yeah, just what the boys are doing, just follow them. And I was like, yeah. So she, I got real amped up on this chair and I was like, yeah, I'm going to follow the boys. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I... Uh, followed not my boys you know it wasn't like Amir and our friends I like this guy was doing the jumps and I was quite comfortable in the jumps I was like oh do you know what yeah screw it I'm just gonna do what he's doing he wasn't doing anything really he was doing like 180s on these jumps I'd never done a 180 on a flat and I thought it'd be a good idea to try it on a jump uh, <laughs> so shivs out she's under the gondola I'm in pain Basically, I went off the jump and started rotating and just didn't know what to do and just fell straight on my hip. So I dragged myself off to the side and Amir and Fletcher, one of our friends, are like, they're going over me in a gondola and they're like, Shiv! And I'm not talking. And I could see Em's face and he's like, oh, something's wrong with her. And he's like, are you okay? And I just nod my head. like, you know when you're in pain and you just can't talk? Yeah. And I was like, nah, like something's wrong and I couldn't stand up. And I was like, oh, no. So they come down and they're like, right, come on. Like I was getting up and I was like, oh, something's, something's happened to my hip. Like I can feel it. And uh, they're like, right, we're going to call the skidoo, which is like the, the snow jet ski to come get you. (laughs) And I was like, nope, nope. I'm going to make it to the bottom and I'm going to get on that chairlift. Don't worry. So I heel slipped the entire way down the mountain and I got to the bottom and there was a first aider already there because I think someone had called to say someone's really hurt themselves. And she was like, right, come on, get on the skidoo. And I was like, nah, I'm getting on the chairlift. And she's like, what? And she's like, get on the skidoo. And I was like, no, I don't like it. Because in New Zealand, they don't just put you on the back of the skidoo. like what they do here. They strap you into the, like the stretcher oh, on right. the back of the skidoo. Yeah. 
and for some reason I was like I'm not doing like I just had a fear of you know whatever I was like no I'm getting on this and she's like I have never met someone so stubborn that has hurt themselves (laughs) (laughs) and I was like please just let me get on this chairlift and she's like right I'm coming with you then anyway long story short I got taken off and I'd done um ligament damage in my hip wow so I wasn't really doing much I took all the day shifts at work and then as I was healing I walked out the house one day (laughs) I literally tripped over my own foot and done the tendons of my ankle. So that was it. Ski season was over for Shiv. Um, but Thanks that- very much, Jamie Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know. I, I do like to include her in that because I'm like, oh, I got so G'd up because, you know, you're so inspirational. But then it just didn't end well for me. <laughs> so, yeah, the, it was fine. You yeah. know, it could have been worse. And yeah, I just started missing home loads and I was like, oh my God, I'm so far away. And me and my mom talk all the time on the phone. Yeah. But whenever I lived in New Zealand, we couldn't really, like we could only talk at certain times because of the time difference there. Mm-hmm. Probably New Zealand is where I felt the most homesick and alone because I'm so far away. But it's not like I can just jump on a two hour, three hour flight and get home. Do you know what I mean? It's a shame because it probably did overshadow my time in New Zealand a little bit more than it needed to. However... It was such a good experience. Yeah. Such good. I'm really glad I went to New Zealand. It was really good. The people are super friendly. You know, working there is really good. The job benefits and stuff are really good. They really take care of you whenever you're over there. And uh, yeah, it was a lovely time. Lovely time. I'd love to go back and visit, definitely. Yeah. It's not like here where the gondola is just outside your house. Like the the local mountain to snowboard when you live in Wanaka is what, a 20 to 25 minute drive. So unless you have a car and there's not really any local, I think there's like one or one or two local buses, but it's mostly for workers, not really people that are actually just going up there to snowboard. So it can be quite difficult to get up there. The people that we met while living there were like, yeah, we just hike up, hitchhike up, sorry, every day. Cool. And I was like, okay. It was a really cool way to meet people, if I'm honest. Yeah. I had some really, really interesting conversations when we had hitched hike to get back to town we had uh, these (laughs) these two guys from china and they were fantastic they were tourists Mm -hmm. and they were then this big four by four and they were tearing it up i mean tearing it up to kadrona and they were just so excited and they're on their holiday and they're asking us loads of questions and i'm saying oh where are you from like i was like i'm from scotland like oh braveheart You've seen Braveheart, right? And I was like, yeah, I've seen Braveheart. Like, and then they put on him. What song did they put on? And then the girl I was in the car with was from New Zealand. They were like, oh, New Zealand. Yeah, obviously we're in New Zealand. They love New Zealand. They're like, Lord, we love Lord. And then they're blasting Lord, that singer out the car. And it was hilarious. And then we had another guy that was telling us that this part of New Zealand that we're in is on the Alpine Fault Line, Mm -hmm. which is like, um, it shifts every hundred years or something. We get in this car and we're all obviously there. We're excited. We're from other countries. And he starts speaking about how we're all sitting on this alpine fault line. And, you know, one car's just ready to erupt in an earthquake. And we're just like, <gasps> they're all just looking at each other being like, what? Like, okay, cool. Thanks for the advice, man. Like, <laughs> nice to meet you. See you later. <laughs> and then it was funny because that week, my work made me sign the contract, which was a, if you die due to an earthquake, we are not liable. And I'm like, he was right. <laughs> that led you back here to Meyerhofen, and did yeah. another season. And then where did you go after that? Oslo in Norway. Yeah, that's a bit different. <laughs> yeah, I decided, well, we decided, sorry, um, to go to Oslo because a few of our friends have gone there and it's kind of a hub for saving money. 
So you can make a lot of money in Oslo. Oh, okay. Um, the wage is pretty high. The overtime is pretty high. But the living is very high. <laughs> right. Long story short, yeah, we have a lot of connections there. We got accommodation again through a Facebook group. However, the night before leaving for Oslo, we were getting ready for our goodbye drinks here with our friends. And we got a message to say, I am so sorry, but you can't move into the apartment. The night before, it wasn't even 24 hours and we were going to be leaving to move to yeah. Norway. A country I'd never been. Like, so we, um, I, I put it on the, again, the se- it's not even a, it's not a season air page. It's just like an Oslo housing page. And I put up like, hey, this is a situation. Me and my boyfriend come tomorrow. Can anyone help? Even for a week. Like, we're super stuck. We have nowhere to go. And we literally arrive tomorrow. And this amazing girl was like, hey, um, I have a spare room. Come stay with me for a couple of weeks. Um, I'll charge you. Like, she charged us barely nothing for the place. And she was super, super nice. And we got really, really, really lucky. But what a disaster. Like, the currency is kroners. We'd never looked into the currency. So like we land at the train station and I'm stressing. Obviously, it's been quite stressful. We don't know where we're going. Like we technically don't have a home to go to. You know, we're just like kind of staying in someone's spare room. And we're at the train station. We're about to miss the last train into the city. And Em's like, what ticket do we need? And I was like, yeah, it must be that one. Like it says Centrum or something on it. Just buy it to them. And he was like, yeah, but it says like a thousand kroners for the two of them. And I'm like, yeah, that's normal. That's like 10 euros. Just buy it. Nah, it was a hundred. <laughs> oh, wow. And because we'd bought it from the ticket machine, we couldn't get our money back. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so yeah, it, it started off pretty stressful. But um, like same thing happened through connections. We um, We both just went to a few like bars and restaurants and things like that because we knew that's probably the place you can make the most money quick because of tips and things like that. So yeah, we both just ended up working in bars and restaurants for the summer, but it was pretty cool. Like Norway's cool. It's hot in the summer, which is nice. Okay. I worked outside, so like it, it was really hot. <laughs> <laughs> but um, What were you doing? Bar work? Or, well, I guess waitressing. Yeah, kind of waitressing. So I was working, if anyone's ever been to Oslo, they've probably walked past the place I work. So I work in the literally the city centre. So it's it's basically like a little hut. And a lot of people get off the, the cruises or they'll be doing the shopping. They'll come by our place, drop off, have a drink outside and then pop off. Like it's it's a real like fast moving mm-hmm. environment for people coming in and out. But yeah, that was a really cool place to work. And it was actually um, someone that lives in Meyerhofen that told me about it, Charlie. He was like, oh, I worked there for a bit in summer and it's a nice place to work, nice company to work for. So yeah, I did that for the nice. summer and then I stayed within the company and just kind of knocked about some bars different bars like I worked at the bar Amir worked at for a couple of nights a week and I worked in a I actually had a lot of jobs there I worked in a a vegan cafe as well for a bit too Mm -hmm. because it's weird in Oslo July is like the summer season for them yeah but that means everyone in the city leaves and goes to a different country so July which is normally the busiest season for anywhere else in the world is like one of the quietest for Oslo because all the locals just leave (laughs) it's really bizarre (laughs) Yeah, so like our work went down and we had to work less. So then I I got a second job just so I was continuing on the saving up money mm-hmm. part of things. Did you enjoy your time in Oslo? I did. It's It was very different to anywhere I'd been. It yeah. was strange because it was a city, but it was by the sea and it didn't really feel like a city. Like it was quite small. Mm-hmm. 
lots of different parts of Oslo. Like there's, I guess, the inner city parts, but then there's the piers, which are insane, the fjords, and you can go and take the boats out to these little islands and go swimming and things like that, which is amazing. And lots of free outdoor activities, like loads of free skate parks and like table tennis and lots of recreational social areas for free in Oslo. Yeah, wicked. For anyone who's thinking about going to Oslo and finding a job or what what kind of advice would you give them? Um I think if you're going to Oslo with the intention of making money, be ready to work really hard. Mm-hmm. Unless you speak Norwegian, you're probably only going to get a job in hospitality and hospitality works you really hard there. You will reap the benefits because you can make a lot of money in Oslo. But be aware like the it's it's kind of like London prices, accommodation is through the roof it's super 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 expensive so i guess a bit of advice would be to go there with a bit of money Mm -hmm. go there with some money saved up a couple of grand you know to pay your accommodation for the first couple of months before you start making money in oslo once you start making money you know it's great the winters are quite like scotland they're very wet very dark but yeah i guess it's an individual thing it depends what you're going to that country for like um it could be a really fun time for sure but i would i would definitely recommend if you want to make a chunk of money quickly i yeah i'd say go to oslo and mm-hmm. work in hospitality for even a year and you could probably leave us quite a lot of money yeah so oslo was like the last place the last other place that you were living and working yeah. other than Marhofen. then you got here and uh pandemic hit obviously i know what your pandemic experience was because we spent most of it together however um tell me a bit about the whole covid19 debacle i'm not gonna lie i didn't take it seriously in the beginning like anyone did in this no like i even remember like quite embarrassingly like posting something on instagram being like you know there's bigger worries in the world (laughs) like covid isn't a big deal but it certainly was and it hit us very hard here in austria where we live i don't know it just kind of it happened overnight for us especially here like we were in the bar we were talking about it you know a lot of the customers that were in were talking about it and we were very blasé about it it was kind of like whatever and then all of a sudden the owner of snowballing was on the phone to mike and he was saying hey it's cancelled that's it and he comes through and tells us, he's like, um, snowbombing's being cancelled. And that for us is a big deal because snowbombing at the end of the year is the highlight, you yeah. know, of the season. It's the best way to finish the season. And we're like, what? And me and Wendy, um, one of our friends, were kind of laughing. We're like, no, surely not. And he's like, no, really, like, this is getting serious. And customers are coming in, speaking to us about it. Then the next night, we hear the mountain closes on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And we're like, oh what do you mean there's still a month left of the mountain being open what do you mean the mountain closes we're still not really taking it seriously and again there's customers at the bar it's kind of the same customers that have been there all week speaking to us like like you know what are your girls gonna do if you know work ends and we're kid like we're joking because we don't think it's actually yeah. gonna happen we're like yeah well that, that's it then isn't it for us you know we're we're kind of scrooge type thing as we say that mike comes through and goes kinder it's over <laughs> and our boss calls us kinder kids yeah he's like you know kinder it's over tomorrow's last day we're just like what like what do you mean tomorrow's last what so obviously we just get 
drunk because we're like <laughs> i mean oh, the world what? is ending and like we're like <laughs> get the schnapps it's, out yeah it was so confusing <laughs> and i like if i'm being honest still technically wasn't really taking it seriously yeah and we just went out that night and i guess celebrated life <laughs> as we had it in that one moment mm-hmm. um and then the next day i woke up and i was not okay and i thought i was just hung over and then i was like mm, something's wrong with me like i really don't feel good I have a pretty good awareness of my body and I know when I don't feel good and I normally know when I'm hungover. And I was like, nah, I feel like something's wrong. Like I really don't. I was super weak and I kind of felt like I was getting the flu. And But that's normal. That time of year, mm-hmm. I always get the flu. Right before snowbombing, normally I'm always sick because I mean, you've had a whole season, you're up the mountain, you're, you know, you're in the snow, you're in the sun, blah. Anyway, I was in bed and I was super sick. And my boyfriend was taking care of me and he was messaging Gina being like, hey, she's really ill. Like, do you have any painkillers I can give her? Because yeah. she's in a lot of pain. It was like 5 a.m. I'm, yeah, like, yeah. I'm like crying because I feel like I've been hit by a bus. I was so, my whole body was so sore. When I'm sick, I'm sick. Like, I don't normally complain about being ill. And Em gets back at like 5 a.m. with the pills and he's like, Gina isn't well either. Like she has all the same <laughs> symptoms as you. And I was like, oh, I don't feel good. Anyway, yeah, we called the emergency number. They came out, they did the test on me and they were like, yeah, you've got COVID. Like you have to stay in the house for 14 days. But by this point I hadn't left in like four days already. Yeah. So like I I think I quarantined for like, it must've been 17 to 18 days. Like I didn't leave the apartment. Yeah. At, at this point in time, though, I didn't care because I felt so ill. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't last that long, though, I guess. It was like five days of being sick, mostly in the night times. I just couldn't sleep. I couldn't breathe properly. Like, I just felt achy. And then at the end of it, I felt really pukey. And, but thank God, touch wood, no long term effects for me. And then there on after, it was, I can't complain about much because mm. it wasn't, it wasn't terrible. Like, yeah, like our time that we lived in, we locked down hard. Like yeah. there was no in or out. There was nothing. The police checked on me like five times while I had COVID to make sure that we were all in the house. Like not only did I have to quarantine, but my boyfriend and our housemate, Wendy, we all had to quarantine together in the house. Mm-hmm. That was wild. Yeah. Um, but it went as well as it possibly could have. Like, And then afterwards, things just started going up. The summer came. Things started to open up. You moved in. Yeah. You know, and all of a sudden we're all living in this house together which is cool but like it was weird because we're all still trying to process what's going on and all of our friends just had to up and go instantly like so we'd lived with some Australians and it was like less than 24 hours they had to get up pack Mm -hmm. and leave they had to book a flight because it was like if you don't leave now like there was no option you have to get out of the country like you're not allowed to be here and they even said it to us as well like our landlord called us and was like you're gonna have to get out of the apartment because I don't think we're actually allowed to house anyone yeah that is here from another country. And I was like, well, you have no choice because I have COVID. Yeah. <laughs> I can't leave. So that maybe served us well in a way. Yeah. But yeah, I um I can't complain too much, to be honest, Gina. Like it was summers are insane here. And yeah. if it wasn't for COVID, I probably wouldn't have stayed here for the summer. And now we're getting residency and, you know, making this our home. So like I probably would have never gotten to that point if it wasn't for COVID and all the other things that have happened since then. So yeah. I say in whole, I've had a very positive COVID experience and feel bad for the people that haven't, obviously. Yeah, very sad for the people that have, have had a really bad one. In the sense of like financial, it's been terrible. Yeah. Like I have had no income in a year. Mm-hmm. 
you'd saved quite a lot up over that winter, hadn't you? Yeah, I'd saved up through through living in Oslo and then being here in the winter. I had money that got me through probably till about October, November time of mm-hmm. last year. And then that was it. Boom. No money. Yeah. Like literally no money left. It was insane. But we got through it. Yeah, you did get through it. And that is something that's quite impressive. You made it work. Uh-huh. Tell us a bit about how you did that. <laughs> well, I sat my my first like personal trainer qualification um, kind of through Oslo. And while I was here in Meyerhoff and through quarantine, I finished the first one. So I thought, oh, why don't I just start at well, I think, did you or Wendy? I feel like someone put it in my head was like. It was me. Yeah, it was. So I was like, <laughs> you should do like a boot camp. It took a while for that to actually manifest in something. But um, yeah, I decided, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to start an outdoor boot camp class, predominantly for women. It was more targeted towards women. Um, because, you know, a lot of people have been stuck inside for months. Mm-hmm. and it's just nice to get outside and do something with a bunch of people and I knew that some people were here they maybe didn't have a lot of people maybe people that aren't from here or people that even are from here but we started an outside boot camp which was cool mm-hmm. that paid a few months rent yep and then for my birthday again <laughs> you and Wendy <laughs> bought me a macrame kit mm. And for anyone that doesn't know, it's um, technically fiber art. It's a something you hang on your wall or it's a plant hanger. It's fiber. And I was like, do you know what? I could make that for sure. And I kept saying it. I had the idea in my head. I was like, maybe I should make macrame like on the side. And then for my birthday, Gina and Wendy got me a macrame like starter kit. And then that was it. I started making wall hangings and plant hangers and... Then it just kind of took off from there, really. And I started an Instagram account and I was selling them. Like I sent them to like Australia, Denmark, Scotland, Ireland, kind of everywhere, Spain, Portugal. I've sent ones all over and done a market here in Meyerhofen as well, selling them. And yeah, that is kind of how I have been making money during Mm -hmm. the pandemic. And also I cook plant-based meals for a family here as well that heard that I love to cook and um, plant-based eater so they were super interested because they work full-time and they have two kids and they were like hey if you could cook for us that'd be cool and it just all worked out (laughs) (laughs) yeah I mean you're probably the most resourceful person I've ever met (laughs) you get an idea and you go for it and yeah you just managed to get good results it's fantastic so yeah I mean obviously it's like anything though there's a lot of ups and downs and sometimes you put your whole worth on that one thing you're like oh if I don't sell any this month but you have to keep reminding yourself do you know what this is just a bonus that Mm -hmm. you're doing this this is a bonus that you're making money from something that you actually enjoy doing whether that be the fitness stuff or the macrame stuff or the cooking Mm -hmm. the fact that you can technically work for yourself and make money is kind of the goal for me, really. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> it's about paying the bills at the end of the day. Yeah, and COVID has taught me, anyway, we can live with so much less. Yeah. Like, our income can be so much less. We do not need the things that we previously thought we needed to be happy and to be, quote-unquote, successful. But it doesn't matter. 100%. You mentioned there that you're plant-based eater mm-hmm. and chef. I can imagine that can be quite challenging in Austria, considering <laughs> the Austrian diet consists of a lot of cheese and meat. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I try to be resourceful. 
And I love cooking. So it's not that difficult. I guess for someone that is maybe trying to go plant-based, it could seem really difficult here because there's not loads of options. However, I have noticed the past 12 months here where we live anyway, the options have expanded a lot in the supermarkets. Ah, right. Okay. Mm. Is there anything in particular that you miss about Scotland? No, just family. Mm. I mean, I don't, I'm not going to lie. There's probably not much I miss about the lifestyle there because that's why I live here. I do miss living next to the sea sometimes Mm -hmm. because I've always grown up in a coastal town. But yeah, just family. It's tough living away from them, especially in these times where you can't just fly home whenever you want to, to see them. Where is it that you now call home? Here, Marhoffin. Yeah? Yeah. This is a place you want to stay and see yourself sort of settling down? For the time being anyway, like for the foreseeable future, there's nothing in the next couple of years, I guess, for now, that's drawn me away from this place. We've built such a good community of people here, especially now since pandemic, a lot of people are calling this home Mm -hmm. that maybe you wouldn't have before. Yeah. And there's no rush, you know? So I think at the minute, yeah, I'm really, really happy that I'm here at the minute and planning on not going away anytime soon. And there's something really nice about not rushing to the next country. I'm not going to lie. I think I'm kind of over that stage. Yeah. For sure. Of like, next, next, next. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be 28 this year and I'm quite ready to maybe just slow down a bit, make a bit of a base. Yeah. Still travel for sure, but I've definitely found comfort in having a home here. It's really nice to feel like you're home rather than constantly racing to yeah. the next place do you have any inspirational quotes that you live by i guess well like no risk no story mm-hmm. like that was one that i love and i just maybe not on a, a quote standpoint sorry but more of just some um advice an opportunity not taken can be a regret for the rest of your life and i i truly truly think if i wasn't to have um, embraced the opportunities that have been given to me along the way and opened so many different doors for me, I would regret something for sure. So yeah, take opportunities. Yeah. Well, you know, Gary V, he always says, if you if you need perspective in life, volunteer at an old folks home mm-hmm. and just talk with them and ask them the things that they regret in life. And the most of the things that they say they regret is the chances they didn't take and the opportunities that they didn't take, the places they wanted to go that they didn't go. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's how I'm trying to live by. Yeah. If there's something that comes up, try and take it Yeah, as much as you can. Do you have any book recommendations or publications or movies that you would recommend to someone who's thinking about taking the jump and living and working abroad? Well, first of all, Parent Trap, Gina. <laughs> I'll get on yeah, that. <laughs> I don't really know if this goes towards traveling, but I remember reading The Alchemist mm-hmm. and that inspired me a lot. Also, The 4-Hour Workweek. Again, that doesn't really have loads to do about traveling, but it just, it gives you an insight on what's possible. Yeah. A lot of people can't see outside of the 9 to 5 conventional job. And I think the four-hour work week definitely gave me some insight and tools on how to use my skills and be resourceful and make money from them. Mm-hmm. So I think that maybe goes alongside wanting to travel. And, you know, a lot of people don't want to do the jobs that comes with traveling. So make a job for yourself. Yeah. And I, I don't know, maybe that would help. 
Yeah, I mean, the author of that book, Tim Ferriss, certainly did that himself. Yes. It doesn't have to be about travel, just anything that's helped you along the way. I think take advice from people that have done it. Mm -hmm. That's probably my number one thing. If you had to give your, your younger self a piece of advice, what would it be? Teenage Shiv, back in the dance school days. If you had to give yourself one piece of advice, what would that be now? You don't need money to pursue your dreams. Good one. Money isn't everything. You don't need a lot of money to do the things you want to do. Maybe that's better than your dreams. You don't need eight grand in the bank to go and live abroad. You know, you can go with 200. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Just got to make it work. Yeah. And you got to believe it. And that's the thing. You have to envision that it's going to work because if you don't, it won't. Yeah. As well. Something to add on to that. Whether you believe in like manifestation and the law of attraction and um, like thinking things into your personal reality. Like I didn't realize that I, I did that from a young age and I didn't actually learn about what it was until quite recently. It's like whenever I was going to Spain, I would say, I did actually say to my parents before I went, I'm, I'm going to Spain. And they're like, yeah, whatever. I was like, I am though. Watch me book fly. <laughs> like the same with my friends, even when I was like, I'm going to go and live in America. And this is before, this is three years before I'd gone. And they're like, shut up, Sean. And I was like, no, I am. <laughs> like the more you believe it and you say it out loud, it's with anything in life if you say, I'm going to do a podcast. Exactly. Look where we are. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It is true. Yeah. And um, I have to ask you this question, actually. I have to ask this because this is my mum's favourite question on the podcast. Oh, go on then. Marglenda, Glenda, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this one's for Marglenda. Good. Every time you travel somewhere, mm -hmm. what is the one thing you always take with you? A snack. <laughs> I was thinking more things that you pack in your suitcase, oh, really? but a snack is... But I do pack a, I pack a snack in my... Gina, it's hard times for a vegan and gluten-free person to travel. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, true. The it's last like your, thing your I want to thing. do is be hungry in a fucking airport <laughs> where they've got no options for me to eat a damn thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Serious. <laughs> if someone came to you and said to you, I've only got the money to go to one place, where would you advise them to go? I don't think I could ever advise on one country, especially the one country I've been to, because it's all personal. And God, don't listen to other people just because they've been there. If you have in your head, oh, I really want to go to Alaska, go. Yeah. <laughs> if in your head, I really want to go to this place, go there. I'm not going to tell you where to go. Is that? That's a great, that's a great answer. I mean, that's an honest answer. Yeah. Um, let me ask another question then. Where's your favourite place that you've ever been in on all your travels or what was your favourite season? That's really difficult. I think one of the most beneficial experiences I had going from teenage into adulthood was definitely Camp America. Mm -hmm. I think coming kind of straight out of school and straight out of college to not having your parents there, not having anyone around you there, no comforts whatsoever. You are a 12-hour flight from home. That was a big learning experience for me to be by myself, do things by myself, make friends, be uncomfortable in situations you don't want to be in and you have to get yourself out of them. So yeah, I guess probably the the summer in America for me. My final question, which is what I ask 
everyone that comes on the show. Have you got a couple of people that you would like to call out to come on and have a chat with me? Yes. The first one is Poppy Moon. Cool. And she's the reason I'm here. Mm-hmm. And the other one is Josh. And he is my friend from Scotland who went to Dubai and is a skydiving, was a skydiving instructor. I'm pretty sure his role has changed now. But he's super, super interesting. And yeah, I think Poppy and Josh, they're my two because they have a lifetime of stories that are going to be oh, so cool. interesting. Siobhan, thank you so much for giving me your time. Thank you, Gina. You've given loads of really good advice. So thank you. Oh, and I uh, hope so. Thank yeah. you. Hope for you come back me. again. It's been good fun. Pleasure. <laughs> What a strange experience to interview one of my closest friends and so many things I didn't know about her. Thanks again to the amazing Siobhan Brogan for joining me on the show today. In the show notes, you can find a link to Shiv's Macrami page, Peak Creation, as well as any other links relating to today's show. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at That Season Air Podcast to be the first to hear announcements and giveaways or just send me a DM to say hi. If you enjoyed today's podcast and are new to the show, then why not head back for our earlier episodes, starting with episode one, where I talk ski seasons and super yachts with Lauren Lamari. You can now click to subscribe on any podcast platform to get new releases of this show as they come out. So please click and subscribe. A massive thank you to our sponsors, Mike Sports Bar in Meyerhofen, Wandering Woods Coffee in the UK, and of course, thank you to Mondo Wave for the music. Thanks for tuning in, guys, and I look forward to seeing you all again next time. Bye.